Welcome to Talking Heads on USA Global TV, starring the one and only wonderful Dr. Jacqueline. It's a prestigious place where world-class influencers and experts meet, and where you'll find the most trusted advisors and coaches for all things in life and business. Visit usaglobaltv.com to sign up for our newsletter, get the value you need, and be first in line to learn about events and giveaways and other valuable content. Connect with us. Email Jacqueline at usaglobaltv.com to talk about how you can become part of USA Global TV. That's USA Global TV, where the doctor is always in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to USA Global TV and radio. We hope that you are joining us on a regular basis for this and any of our other 27 shows. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Kerbeck. I'm the founder and president of USA Global TV and radio, and I'm just so happy to have you here. We are just celebrating our six-month anniversary as we started live streaming January the 10th of this year. In addition, we just sent out our first newsletter. So if you'd like to be on our mailing list, please go over to our website, usaglobaltv.com and contact us so we can add you to the list. All right. Diane Flebeam has the day off. She is my fabulous co-host. So we will be welcoming our guest. And before we do, I just have a couple of quick announcements. First of all, we've added some new shows. I'll just go through them very quickly. The first is Wrapping with Dr. Jacqueline, a show about nothing. What does this mean? Well, I started out in this industry after I left my corporate career and my first show was Rapping with Dr. Jacqueline. So I got it trademarked and I thought, let me bring this back. So this is a show for anyone and everyone around the world where we will just chat about nothing. We'll chat about everything, whatever it is we want to talk about. That's what we'll do. Our next show is The Amazing Adventures of Lady Ella, The Listening Mentor, TV and radio show. This is my third book. Uh, this is going to be a series of seven that I'm writing with my co-author in New Zealand, Mariska Dupree, and all of the animal characters you see on the cover represent people, people who have elevated listening skills and have been certified by my program, The Power of Listening. So we have a TV show to celebrate them. And then finally, we also have Dr. Jacqueline's book club. So if you would like to have your book featured, you're not actually on the show, but I feature your book and let people know that you're out there and why they should reach out to you. Okay, our guest today is backstage and he's joining us from Canada, which we love our friends in Canada. And I'm excited to bring him out and find out about his work. His name is Richard H. Stevens, and he is very unique in his approach and in his writing. So let's welcome him and hear what he has to say. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you here, and you are uh, someone who specializes in writing about fantasy. And of course, we all have our own fantasies in our minds, and sometimes we do something with them, and sometimes we don't. So tell us a little bit about what prompted you to go into this genre of your writing. I started writing when I was nine, and uh, when I was about 17, uh, I went into a store looking for something to read, and uh, someone introduced me to The Sword of Snara by Terry Brooks, and my love of reading fantasy uh, begun then. And uh, a couple of years later, I was uh, sitting at home uh, late one night listening to uh, a radio station up here in Canada and the song Runs of the Hills of Iron Maiden came on and I'd never planned anything about writing anything in it, any kind of fantasy uh, world, but uh, all of a sudden it inspired this fantasy story in my head. Uh, it 
three books. I right away I knew how I was going to be in. I knew how I was going to end. I just had to get there. And then uh, 35 years later, I finally finished book one, Soul Forge, and published it in 2018. That's an incredible journey. Uh, 35 years, you said. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, we hear this all the time. And even with me, before I started writing, you have something and you start it and then life happens and you don't get back to it. And then we get on a roll and it's like perpetual. We can't stop. So uh, would you love to share with us what you were doing in the interim before the first book was published? Oh, exactly. So back in 1982, when I uh, first came up with the idea for Soul Forge, it was called uh, the River Sticks. And just because I love the name Sticks, I thought it'd be a cool name for a river. But uh, you know, I had two careers uh, over the next 35 years and I had five children. And of course, the children always take precedence over anything that I want to do. And back when I started writing, you know, unless you got a contract with a big publisher, uh, there was really no way you're going to publish a book other than going to a vanity press. And you know, that didn't seem like an option for me. We didn't have a lot of money at the time. But uh, anyway, uh, in 2017, I had an epiphany moment. I was working with the Model Regional Police Service and I realized that uh, if I stayed with the police service, the stress of the job was probably going to end up killing me. So I went home that night and we had a discussion with my wife and she was amazing. And we decided that it was time to get me out of there. So in uh, April 2017, we both left our corporate jobs and started our own online businesses. And uh, she's allowed me to write full time. So I finally finished uh, Soul Forge, which was uh, The River Sticks. I realized it doesn't have any Greek mythology in it, so I had to change the name of the book and uh, it became Soul Forge. And uh, I've written uh, 13 books since 2000, the end of 2017. Wow, congratulations on so many things. Leaving your corporate careers, that's huge. I did the same thing, it's very liberating. And mm -hmm. also starting online business and writing full time and then publishing all those books, that's super impressive. Yeah, thank you. It's been quite a learning curve, let me tell you. And I, I certainly couldn't have done it myself. So my wife looks after all the minutiae in the background, thank goodness, because it that just sucks the the fun and the life out of the writing uh, uh, over the writing day like so i can just concentrate on writing the next story we were talking a little bit backstage about editing you've been doing a lot of editing i've been doing a lot of editing there's so mm. many things to your point that are so tedious they're so time consuming and they take away from creating the content yet someone has to do it so it's wonderful that you have your wife helping you in that area well, absolutely and it's funny because i might be one of the few authors who actually likes editing i don't mind the editing part of it I, I like the way uh, it makes my book stronger and the story stronger and the characters more compelling and more endearing to the reader. I, I really enjoy the editing, but you know, it is takes up time to do it. Uh, this latest book is now 165,000 words long. So it's uh, in my font and typeset, it'll be pretty well 650 pages. So it takes quite a bit of time to edit it and that will take, you know, That'll probably take me the next couple of months. But uh, my wife looks after everything else. She looks after social media, which is such a time suck for me. I sometimes go down that wormhole and don't come out for a couple hours. And she's uh, struggling to help me with the marketing. So being self-published, I have my own publishing imprint, Dragon Fang Press. And uh, you know, it's, it's so tough to learn uh, how to make your advertising dollar actually work for you. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. That is 
is pivotal. How do we stand out from everyone else? And when you talk mm-hmm. about social media, social media, I know for me on this platform, I spend two days just posting, <laughs> tagging. Mm-hmm. It's it's extensive. So I want to go back to you and you spoke about editing and that uh, your book is 650 pages. What is it that you look for when you're editing? Is it eliminating the obvious redundant words and whatnot, but is it actually taking the content and streamlining it? What is your approach? Yeah, I try to uh, tighten the prose per se. Like being fantasy, we often get, uh, fantasy author, we often get knocked with having these long drawn out paragraphs and you know, so many words in these books that uh, a lot of people don't appreciate it. And I, I try to not bore the reader with just purple prose. I try to, uh, limit that and make the story uh, evolve and progress quickly. So, like you say, you take out a lot of repetitive words, uh, a lot of ly words. You know, as authors, we like to describe everything to death. And uh, I worked with a professional editor in Scotland, and she was amazing in beating me into submission. That saying that once I tell people that my half giant is strong in page six, I don't have to keep telling them that Pollard has these massive hands and is so strong and go, you know, I keep wanting to make sure that the reader knows this. And she said, you know, give the reader some credit. They're smarter than you are as the author. And they know when I say that Pollard is a strong man, they'll never forget. So, you know, we can start weeding all these little details out of the story and just, you know, get on with the story itself. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And on our platform, we provide education to help other people. And I'm wondering if you could share with our audience, uh, many people are dealing with mental health issues. People are burnt out. People are lost. They're confused. They're in their corporate role and they really want to leave. How does the writing that you do, how does it affect you personally? Does it, it uh, bring up feelings of joy or is it sort of an escape? What would you say about that? I'd say being an author sometimes it's it, I, it's more like uh, riding a roller coaster really it's a you know it's a long slog up that first hill like it doesn't go very fast at all and you you finally reach the top and you know you kind of doubt yourself on the way up but you're kind of afraid of what's going to happen when you reach the top of that uh, first hill and then all of a sudden you publish that book and you're so high on the adrenaline that's a you know I finally got my book and then you get the print copy in your hand and it's such an amazing experience. And then you start into book two and you start looking for your sales. Uh, Sometimes they seem almost non-existent and you go down into this deep, deep trough and you start doubting yourself. Uh, So what helps me a lot is uh, my amazing readers. Every now and then out of the blue, I'll get a reader that just inbox me or reach out to me on social media and say say how much they love my story. And all of a sudden that roller coaster car is shooting back up that hill again and we're reaching that next high. So being an author to me is like a roller coaster. There's so many highs and there's so many lows, but uh, at the end of the day, it's a really fun ride. Thank you for sharing that. It, it, it is a fun ride. And I'm glad that you mentioned that there are highs and lows and you have achieved the success of being able to do this full time, which not many people can. So how has your life changed since you started writing full time? Uh, like I say, the first 35 years, I was uh, I held two careers and uh, five kids and I didn't write a lot. Uh, probably the last 12 years of my policing career, I used my hour lunch to just, you know, get away from the pressures of the job of the day and uh, just put my headphones on and just delve into my writing. And it was kind of an escapism for me. But uh, 
there was no way while I was still in the police service that I was ever going to publish anything because when I got home at the end of the day, my mind is more preoccupied with what I was going to have to face the next day. So uh, you know, policing wasn't a great job for me. Uh, I, I stressed out way too much over uh, what I was doing and what was going, you know, potentially could happen. So uh, by getting out of there uh, was probably the best thing for me and writing full time. I could not still survive on my own writing full time uh, without my wife in the background. Her business is the one that pays the bills and mine's the one that is trying to pay the bills and hopefully sometime uh, in the near future, hopefully uh, I will start making enough that she can actually just retire from her job and I'll just write full time and we'll live happily ever after, but we're not quite there yet. That's okay. It's a journey. It's a process and you're well on your way. So um, I'd love to take a look at your website if that's okay with you. Absolutely. All right. Let's my wife's the one who actually put that website together for me as well. We paid a professional website designer uh, a lot of money and we weren't happy with the website he designed. And so she decides she's going to do it herself and she did it so much better. You know, it's so funny that you said that because we do hire people, we do trust people to do things. And then sometimes I know with me, it's happened several times more than I care to admit. And then we do it ourselves and it's better anyway. So I love the animation in the, in mm -hmm. the background. It's fabulous. It really catches your eye and draws you in. No, exactly. That's uh, I saw that uh, I saw a Facebook or a, a website designer on Facebook, and they had dragons scrolling all over the place. I thought, wow, that'd be really cool if we could do that with ours. And at that point, I thought it was just a pipe dream. And all of a sudden, one day, she said, "Look at this!" And wow, I was amazed. Yeah, it's not fantasy; it's reality now. So yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually over on your website, so um, I can't actually see you at the moment. So tell me where you'd like me to go. So I scroll okay, down. So yeah, the first one is just uh, the books that uh, I just released. The Dragon Sex released in November, and uh, that is the latest in the, the High Cliff Guardian series. The cover. Yeah, and Windwalker. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I love this cover. I love the, the beauty and the three dimensional and the colors, I think, are really provocative. Yeah, I'm working with a cover designer in Singapore, and she's amazing. She's uh, so as an author, when you first start out, uh, you know, you find all these fancy colors. It's like looking at something shining. We get attracted to it and you kind of lose a uh, focus on what you should be doing. And I've learned over the last few years that I need to brand all my books. So they all look the same. So when I first released uh, my Rika's Flight series, uh, it's the one before this one. And they were beautiful covers. I really love them, but they don't look anything like this. And I figured, hmm, you know, it doesn't look right on someone's shelf. If this set of covers are all in the same universe, look a bit different than these set of covers. So. I've found this uh, amazing artist in Singapore and she's now branding all my covers and I use a different typographist who is in the, the US and she does all the typography on the covers. So now they all look the same. So when someone buys a whole set of books, they'll all look the same on the shelves. And it's, it's funny, those things that you just don't think of as an independent author, there's just so many different hats you got to wear and these things slip through. Yeah, that's a really good point. So um, just out of curiosity, how many revisions did the illustrator have to do to get it to this point? I don't know. That's, she gave me a few different samples and uh, I either I say yes or no. And then we decide on uh, which one. She's awesome because what I do is I give her the book. So I write the book and I give her the manuscript and she actually reads it. And then between the two of us, we brainstorm on what scenes we think will be very poignant on the cover. And 
I know there are theories that the cover isn't actually a scene in the book, but in my books, the cover is a scene in the book. Mm -hmm. And I actually include interior pictures. And behind me, you can see all these interior pictures on the wall. I try mm -hmm. to include five or six interior pictures in each book. And so this is actually a scene right out of Dragon Sect. So when she reads the book, she will give me a bunch of suggestions. I'll have a bunch of suggestions. I'll give her and the two of us work together and we come up with a scene that we actually want to see on the cover. I love this. I, I, honestly, it's the first time I've ever heard anyone say that their illustrator read the book and mm -hmm. then worked with it. It's, that's genius. Okay, let's continue on. Where else should I go? Okay, so if you go to the next tab, it'll be about the, all the books, and it should show all the different series. So the High Cliff Guardians is the first series uh, chronologically, this, but it's actually the series I'm working on now. Uh, you can see the three covers there. Keeper of the Jewels, number one, and then Dragon Sect and Windwalkers, one I just finished, and it'll be out in a couple months. And then chronologically, we will jump forward about 700 years into the Legends of the Lurker, which should be the series right below that. And these are the covers that she has just revamped so you see Rika's flight, Rika's gift, and Rika's legacy. So this is where I brought her on board originally. And uh, she had taken my Rika's flight, oh, actually all three of those covers, and it was actually a real model who posed for the picture on the original cover. And then they put her on the background with a dragon and a forest behind her. And I said to the, to the cover artist, I said, you have to make Rika look like this real-life woman who posed for it because all my readers know what Rika looks like now. I describe Rika very intricately as far as what she wears, especially that cummerbund around her waist. I don't know if you can see them in the covers here, but uh, she has braided hair and everything else. And I thought the cover designer did such an amazing job with her. It's fabulous. The, the work, the workmanship is just so high quality. And this dragon flying around all the time. <laughs> and your wife did that. That's amazing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, And, you know, I'd like to say, that I always want to give a shout out to all the people behind the scenes. I always say that being an author is uh, like being a race car driver you know i cross the finish line i get all the accolades everyone's all about you know aj Foyt or or whoever you know so that's me i'm the race car driver but that car does not leave the starting line without everyone behind the scene so my my editor my uh, cover designer my wife doing all the stuff in the background like without them i my car doesn't go i just sit at the start line and don't go anywhere so uh, I always want to give credit to all the people behind the scenes. Of being an author, there's so many. Yes, that's that's really nice of you to do that. It takes a village. It, uh, absolutely. Okay, tell us more. And then this one is uh, when this is the Bainbridge Companion novels, and it's a trilogy. It was a story about Sidira, who's uh, book two there. And uh, when COVID hit, I had already written the Legends of Lurker and the Soul Forge trilogy, and I was supposed to do a research trip to England to research my next series, and COVID canceled that trip. So I asked my readers which minor character from my first two series would they like to hear a story written about, and most of them said they want to hear about Sidira because in one book called uh, Wizard of the North, I mentioned Sidira's got this dark history, but I never tell them what it is. And the readers go, what the heck, Sidira's dark history? So I started writing Sidira, and when I did that, I realized that I have to write the book Lorena first because the two of them in the Soulforge saga are inseparable. So I wanted to write Lorena's story as well. And then when I was doing that, I realized I have to write book three, which is Pollard. He's the half giant that's pictured on that cover. And he's the one responsible for bringing those two women together. They didn't know each other up to the point uh, where he comes into the story and he turns them into this uh, very dynamic fighting duo. I love the evolution. Mm-hmm. And then this is Soulforge Saga, and Soulforge is the very first book. So that's the one that I started writing in 1982. 
And I always knew the ending to this series and into the madness. I just didn't know how to get there. So when I write, I'm a panther or a discovery writer, or however you want to say it. I know the ending. I know how, but I just don't know how to get there. So I open the front door and I give the main character a kick in the butt and uh, I follow him outside and I start, that's how I do my world building. We discover the world through my character's eyes. And as the story progresses, I have certain points that all of a sudden I all want to hit. And if I don't know if you can tell on the Soul Forge cover there, the, the wizard looking guy has a staff in his hand. For 178,000 words when that was originally written, there was no mention of Elhina having a staff. And my cover designer in Italy thought that when I described the character, he was a wizard and he put the staff in his hand. And I said, Marco, you have to take that staff out of his hand. I said, there's no mention of a staff in his hand. And then I thought about it for about three or four days and I emailed them back. I said, Marco, that is absolutely brilliant. And it actually opened up Wizard of the North. I had no idea what I was going to do with Wizard of the North. And as soon as he put the staff in his hand, the, the rest of the story filled in for me. So it was amazing how that happened. It is. And it's good that you were open to to thinking about it. Sometimes people share something with us and we're just like, no, no, no. But in this case, it really worked out for you. Yeah, well, right. I wasn't open to it right away. I'm thinking, Mark, I just wrote you know, yeah. 178,000 words. But then I'm... <laughs> As soon as it opened that storyline for me, I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. And then I had to go back in through 178,000 words. And every time Alina, Alina appeared in the scene, uh, sometimes I'd have to mention his staff. He's leaning on it, doing something with it. And it became a running joke in the series, uh, are you a wizard? And of course, he keeps denying it. But uh, there, it, it plays such an important uh, role in the evolution of the Soulford saga. And then uh, at the very end of the Soulford saga, I'd, I'd known the ending for 35 years and there was never supposed to be a dragon in my books. When I started out in 1982, I said to myself, I'm not writing elves or dwarves or dragons because everyone does that. Why do I want to be the same as everyone else? And, and then uh, in 2019, 36 years later, uh, I started writing into the madness book three and something happened halfway through that book and it threw my ending right out the window and I didn't know what to do. And, uh, all of a sudden the dragon came in my story. And when the dragon came in my story, that opened up my whole Soul Forge universe. And that's all I do is write about elves and dragons and dwarves now. So it's uh, weird how the evolution has affected me 36, 37 years later. That is truly fantastic. Um, let's go back over to the, uh, the next set of uh, appearances, I think, is really important that people know that they can actually meet you, right? You're going to be in person. Yes. And uh, before COVID, we'd uh, gone down and we've talked to uh, people at the border between Canada and the U.S. or seeing what the IRS uh, requirements are for me to come south. And we were thinking about touring the U.S. in 2020, and we're quite looking forward to it. And then, of course, COVID hit again. So that's thrown those plans uh, for a loop. But on my website under appearances, I am appearing about 26 to 28 uh, times this year. We keep adding more as uh, we keep seeing events coming up and we're still trying to cut our teeth. We just started learning the, the circuit in 2019. And then we, of course, we've been thrown for a loop for the last couple of years. So we're trying to find out the events that work best for me as an author. Comic-Cons are kind of hit and miss. Uh, literary festivals, I do okay, but I think uh, a lot of times fantasy, science fiction, uh, they're not kind of regarded as literary. You know, I'm not sure where the, it's, there's kind of a stigma there involved with writing speculative fiction, I guess. But uh, uh, we're finding uh, what 
uh, events work for us and which ones don't. So hopefully in uh, 2023, we can uh, just hit the ones that uh, you know pack the most bang for the buck when we take our books out to sell them and sign them. I'm going to go back over to the website, but who would you say are the demographics of your audience? How would you describe your followers? Uh, people ask me, uh, especially if they have children, because they don't have a lot of children like fantasy. And I tell them uh, if they can read J.K. Rowling, they can read me. Uh, J.K. Rowling writes, I guess, to a, a younger demographic, but you know, I'm 50. Well, I was in my 40s when I first started reading her, but I'm over 50 now. I love J.K. Rowling stuff. She doesn't write in a childish language. She doesn't write in a teenage slang. She just writes in a just a wholesome adult language, just like J.R. Tolkien did in his time. I know the the, the way they phrase stuff nowadays is different from when Tolkien was writing, but uh, he just writes in a, a very clean adult language. And I do the same thing. So I've got readers who are 12 years old, if they're advanced readers and they love my stuff. And I have readers over 80 and love my stuff. So I write them for people of all ages. I don't really have a set demographic of age groups. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Let's go back over to your appearances. Anything that you'd like to highlight here for people who are watching or listening? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, like I say, I'm in Ontario, Canada. Uh, and I found out that because I'm a fantasy author, that one of my best places to go is uh, Renaissance festivals, medieval fairs, which, uh, you know, it seems like common sense now that I mention it. But uh, back when we're trying to figure out what works for me as a as an author, as far as selling my books, I always thought a medieval fair would be purist. And they would just like things that are like realistically from the 14th or 15th, 16th centuries here on Earth. But uh, I went out to the Fergus Medieval Fair, which is my next event coming up on this calendar on July 23rd. And the whole town of Fergus, Canada goes medieval. So, and it's free to attend, which is really cool. So you can just drive there and you can dress up as a, as a knight or whatever you want. And I will be in a knight's costume selling books. And it's such a great event. There's a king and queen and they have uh, minstrels and it's, it's quite wild. I would, you know what, if you're able to, I would love for you to live broadcast from there. From the yeah, I'll, I will probably be stuck in my booth all day. Uh, and I don't mean stuck. I enjoy doing it, but I will probably be in my booth all day. But if I can get some kind of video, I'll send it to you. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Thank you. So what else shall we highlight? I, I don't know that my wife uh, looks after my website and I know she puts in a lot of uh, different things that I think that's the pirate festival that'll be happening uh, on the Canada civic day weekend. So August 1st is what we call civic day. It's, so it's a three day weekend up here in Canada. And uh, I haven't done this before. So I'm going to see if uh, the pirate crowd will like myself. I'm sure uh, it's kind of along their genre and uh, that will be held in Guelph, Ontario, which is uh, not too far from Fergus actually. But it's a three-day event, and uh, again, everyone will be dressed up, but this time the theme will be pirates. So I do have some pirates kind of in my books, but my books are not pirate-themed at all. So if you're looking for pirates, <laughs> I'm not the author, but they do appear when the, my characters go out on the sea. That's so much fun, though. I love it. And then the Steampunk Festival, again, not really my genre. I did that in 2019. It's kind of a mixture, uh, I guess kind of fantasy-esque, uh, but it's more science fiction. It's a more of a post-apocalyptic uh, type uh, crowd. Uh, they, you know, the ones with the thick glasses and all the, the fancy gadgets and stuff like that. But I did the steampunk festival, and it's in a little place called Coldwater, which is uh, in the cottage country of Ontario, and uh, it's very well attended. And I actually did quite well there. I, again, I'm just trying to cut my teeth on, uh, you know, what kind of crowds will actually like fantasy books, and I've found a, a good enough following in the steampunk. Uh, 
crowd that I will be going back again this year, and that's on August 6th. Right. It's coming right up. And yes. August is off, the 14th. Yep. And all oh, the Fergus Highland Games. And that is, uh, I did a, uh, did another Highland Games. It's kind of a Scottish festival, uh, but it's just the nature of uh, it uh, brings in crowds that really love uh, medieval stuff. And by extenuating, you know, extending that farther, it's uh, they like uh, fantasy as well. So I'm looking forward to the Fergus uh, Highland Games. Uh, it's a great festival celebrating Scottish history. My wife is Scottish, so that works out quite well. A question I have for you is how much research, I'm going to stop sharing for the moment, how much research do you do for your books? I That's the nice thing about writing fantasy. I have a, a very good friend who's a science fiction author, and I can't imagine trying to write something like that, or even historical uh, fiction, even historical fantasy, because, uh, you know, like I say, the readers are smarter than you are, and they will call you out on something you miss. Uh, so as a fantasy author... I still have to do some research. I think uh, even though it's fantasy, things have to be realistic. Like when I was watching the, the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit version of it, uh, which I liked the Lord of the Rings films, but I wasn't too keen on the Hobbit and what they did. And one of the scenes in the Hobbit, when the, the Hobbits are, or the dwarfs are fighting in a mine shaft and they fall like 40, 50 feet onto another rail track and they just jump back up and they start fighting again. Like there has to be some kind of realism in there. So if, a body falls 40, 50 feet, especially in heavy armor, you're probably not going to be getting back up. So there is a bunch of realism that I think, even though it's fantasy, should be in the story just to make uh, increase the stakes of uh, what the characters are facing. And I guess one of the weirdest things I've, I looked up was uh, whether there are tides in a big lake. Uh, I had this uh, sea serpent that uh, only can only access his uh, underground uh, cave when the tides are up. And so... I had to research, is there actually tides on big lakes? And that took me a while. And once you start going down the research rabbit hole, it takes you a long time to come out of that as well. That's fun though, learning new things, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. We're gonna take a quick break and hear from a couple of our sponsors and then we'll be right back with more from Richard. And Richard, I'm wondering while we take the break, if you'd like to get one or two of your books and read something for us. Okay, certainly. I'll just pull one up. I got my computer sitting right in front of me and my head will be a bit turned, but I'll certainly do that for you. All right. Thank you. We'll be right back. Stay with us on USA Global TV and radio. Thank you. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to Story Garden. Your host, Diane Bame. I'm so happy to have you here today. Diane Floyd Bame tells wonderful stories that warm the heart, spark the imagination, and unite people and families across generations. For children, Diane's Harry the Camel connects with all of us who've ever wondered how different our lives might have been if only we'd been born something better, like a wonderful horse instead of an ordinary camel. In the end, we all learn along with Harry that there's nothing better than just being yourself. Diane's little girl in the moon looks down on earthbound children and wonders if they know she's just like them. A story of love, home, and the bond between mother and daughter its powerful theme that we're each of us different, yet all of us the same, plants a seed in children that promises to blossom within a loving and trusting grown-up. Diane's new biography, Rise, recounts the experiences of her grandmother, Ruby, to reveal the hidden strength of the human spirit. Ruby's story inspires all of us to become the best versions of ourselves. 
You'll find all of Diane's delightful books and much more at dianefloydbame.com. Visit D-I-A-N-N-F-L-O-Y-D-B-O-E-H-M.com. That's dianefloydbame.com. My name is Felicia Kay, and I would like to share how the British School of Excellence has enhanced my life and has allowed me to truly impact the lives of my clients in the most positive ways. I am CEO of the Luxury Love Academy, where self-love, self-value, and confidence are at the core of our coaching services and training courses. I help professional women and men to value themselves so that they can confidently achieve success in life and in love. Since completing my training with the British School of Excellence, I have been able to teach my clients how to effectively project the three C's in social settings. Confidence, competence, and credibility. Confidence. My clients are learning to feel comfortable and maintain eye contact in social settings. Confidence. They're learning the importance of asking relevant questions and being active listeners. Credibility. They understand how arriving on time shows great manners and how presenting themselves well can make a nice first impression. Many of my clients are looking for love. So dining etiquette has been essential. They're learning to feel more confident when having tea, lunch, or dinner with someone for the first time. Emotional intelligence. My clients are learning to be more aware and manage their emotions in positive ways, which in turn makes it natural for them to treat others with respect and kindness. I would like to thank the British School of Excellence for giving me the tools to serve my current clients and future clients at the highest level so that they can be their absolute best. everyone and welcome back to USA Global TV and radio. Our show today is the Corner Bookstore and Diane Floyd Bame has the day off. Let's get back to the show as we welcome epic fantasy writer Richard Stevens. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jacqueline. I'm really excited to hear you read for us. So I'm going to spotlight you and just take it away. The floor is yours. Okay, so this is from uh, uh, Keeper of the Jewel, which is book one in the High Cliff Guardians. That's the series I'm writing now. And we were talking about tropes a little bit earlier. And uh, the one I added was a, a goblin. And goblins, generally, if you read fantasy, are kind of like cannon fodder. They don't, uh, they're not very intelligent. Uh, they're just these little pesky things that uh, they kind of throw out there and uh, they become cannon fodder. 
I wanted to turn that trope on its head, and I made uh, my goblin uh, the High Wizard of the Elves. And if you're familiar with elves, elves are a bit more highbrowish, and they look down on most people because they think they're uh, kind of intellectually better than a uh, man or a goblin or any other creature for that matter. So uh, having a goblin as their high wizard kind of creates some angst amongst the elves. But this is a little excerpt from here with uh, Elf and the, the goblin. He's talking to Princess Odling, who uh, is not happy about being exiled to a dragon colony. Her mother, the queen of South March, uh, realized that there's a plot to assassinate uh, Odling, who is the princess, and uh, the queen thinks that the only place to keep her safe is this dragon colony. So this is just an excerpt out of it. Uh, you know, a lot of it won't make sense because you haven't read the... 15 chapters before, but I'll just jump right in. Elfin watched the Princess of South March over the brim of a stone goblet, savoring the steaming effervescence of the spicy concoction he had brewed with the aid of the magical fire burning within a ring of ornate stone. Resting on a low stone bench within a small chamber carved into the mountain of rock, its roof not high enough for Odling to walk upright, she tried to still her fear of the odd creature. Even seated, she had to bend so as not to scrape her head on the rough-hewn ceiling. The chamber eerily illuminated by growing, glowing crystals embedded into the rock around her. Odling sniffed at the goblet she had been given. Its contents exuded a heady, earthy aroma that turned up her nose. She waited for her host to sip at his before working up the nerve to do likewise. Following his lead, she slurped enough to taste it, the liquid tart and hot on her, in her mouth. Daring to swallow, her face twisted on what she could only surmise was an ugly expression. Though she had prepared herself for anything the strange brew might offer, the pungent afterbite was nothing like she had experienced before. Pointed yellow teeth glinted across the magical fire pit as Elfin smiled, the grin making him look more nefarious than usual. Odling didn't think she would ever look at the High Wizard without revulsion. Her gaze on her hands, wrapped around the goblet, she appreciated the warmth infused in its stone composition, but she could feel the wizard's beady red eyes burrowing into her. Swallowing her discomfort, she cast her attention to the glittering gemstones radiating soft light. Is, is this a crystal cavern? Elfin stared long and hard, taking a deep pull of his drink. He placed it on the ground beside him. What if I were to say yes? Odling met his soul-searching gaze and shrugged. I... I guess I'd say it's not what I expected. Were you not taught about High Highcliffe as an elfling? His cynical gaze examined her from head to toe. Or perhaps you aren't old enough yet. Of course I am. But she sighed, barely able to think straight. Sitting alone in a cramped burrow inside a mountain wore on her frayed nerves. The events of the day seeped into her thoughts, haunting her. Accompanied by the horrific noise of elves suffering and dying a torturous death, she couldn't escape the ghastly visions of their burning bodies. She doubted she'd ever get the stench of burnt flesh from her nostrils. If Elfin suspected her turmoil, he never let on. His intense glare implored her to elaborate. I wasn't a good student. My mind was always elsewhere. Elfin held her stare a while longer. When he finally nodded, Odling was sure his demeanor had hardened even further. You know who you are, do you not? The question threw her. A nervous chuckle preceded her reply. Of course, I'm Odling Wise, the first princess of Southmarch. You have a sister then? His query dripped the sarcasm. She could tell he al already knew the answer. Well, no, but the wizard's overpowering presence cowed any chance she had of carrying on a normal conversation with the creature. It was like he judged every word she spoke. Then you are the only heir to the Willow Throne. I guess. No, never guess. 
That is twice you have done that since you sat down. As a future leader, you must know, always, even when you don't, you must profess that you do. The masses expect this. Never display weakness. Lead by example or lose your way. Try as she might, Odling couldn't disengage from that penetrating gaze. She swallowed, not knowing whether to speak or not. Elfin picked up his goblet and drank deeply, closing his eyes in appreciation of the soothing effect it appeared to have on him. Without knowing why she did so, Odling did likewise. The liquid burned going down, as if searing her throat and boiling within her stomach. But even as she was about to cry out in shock, a wave of calm overcame her. She searched the drink, dark liquid, no drink in there. She searched the dark liquid, wondering what the wizard had put in it. Elfin's unsettling grin grew wider. Your first real taste of earth blood. If you prove unworthy, it will kill you. And that's the end of that chapter. <laughs> you have me really drawn in. I love how you changed your voice also. Yeah. I love doing Elfin, but I can't do it too long. Otherwise, my throat just gets so dried out. <laughs> it's amazing how the narrators do this. I have a professional narrator and he his voices are absolutely amazing. And generally for a guy to do a female voice, I wouldn't recommend it because you start sounding like Monty Python, but uh, his female voices are so distinctive and so awesome that uh, he does them so well. How did you find him? Uh, through uh, Audible, actually, when you do the search for... I started doing royalty shares of mine just because it's so uh, cost prohibitive to do an audio book. So they're, uh, they're coming, uh, they're narrators that haven't actually gone out on their own yet. So they're trying to find uh, their authors as well. And they're trying to learn their craft as well. So as a, an author like me, who's not well known, uh, we find each other and uh, they audition for the role. So I had a few people audition and uh, I, I, settled on uh, Mikhail Roberts and uh, he actually appeared, he's appeared in this is us the, the Netflix uh, show not as a regular but he's, he's been in there and uh, he's just he was an amazing find he reads a bit slower I would say than uh, some narrators but you can always speed that up but his voices are just so distinctive well thank you for sharing that that'll help someone mm -hmm. and Richard, as we come to the end of our show, it goes so by, by so quickly. I would love to spotlight you and for you to share with someone who's out there who was where you were. And they've got something that they really, they need to have it come out, but they put it on the side and they don't know how to take the next steps. What advice would you give to an aspiring writer? I always tell people that uh, don't try to be uh, Stephen King or J.K. Rowling or even Dr. Jacqueline, uh, we have those, they're amazing, but uh, we don't need them again. If everyone sounded like Stephen King, I think the books would be pretty boring after a while because they're all the same. So what we don't have is we don't have you. So you need to get your voice out there and heard. And so just believe in yourself. And as long as you believe in yourself, the world will follow. Thank you so much for that. And you also mentioned that you're on StreamYard. Please tell people how they can find your show and can they get involved? Absolutely. I, we're always looking for uh, authors or anyone in the, in the book industry. Uh, we appear every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we air on my through my Facebook uh, author page. Uh, we also air on Twitch TV and uh, YouTube Live. It's a live interactive uh, broadcast, and we basically interview authors from any genre. And uh, it's just a 45-minute uh, uh, spotlight on 
what they do. So it's our way of giving back to community. My co-host, uh, David M. Kelly, is a science fiction author, and Christy Stratos, she's a dark Victoriana author from the U.S. Uh, the three of us uh, co-host the show. And and every uh, the first Tuesday of every month, we do what we call a live read. So we invite authors from certain genres. And what I just did there with that reading, uh, we all take part in reading from their book. So they will assign us characters and it's, it's quite fun. It's almost like a Carabinette show because we will dress up in all these fancy costumes and make these weird manners and stuff like that, trying to make our co-host laugh as we read from the author's book. So it's a lot of fun, especially that first Tuesday of the month. That sounds like fun. Everyone, please tune in. And also, Richard, for people who are not able to read the banner or they're on the radio, how can they contact you? How can they purchase your books? How can they find out about your events? Absolutely. Uh, just to, to add to that last bit, it's called Lurking for Legends. So it's a spin on my uh, series, Lurking uh, Legends of Lurkers. So the, our program is called Lurking for Legends. But they can find me. All my books are on Amazon on my Kindle Unlimited. Uh, my website, uh, I do ship them uh, worldwide. Uh, Canada Post is not cheap. So uh, yeah, that's up to you whether you want signed copies. But uh, Amazon is probably the best way you can get uh, my books. And just one other thing, uh, when we're talking about appearances, I'm actually in the Fan Expo from August 28th to 25th to 28th this year. That's in Toronto, and that is Canada's biggest Comic-Con. So uh, I know in the U.S. you guys do things huge. In Canada, we don't do things as big. Uh, we don't have quite the population either, but uh, the Fan Expo in Toronto is, is massive, and I, I happen to get in there. And William Shatner is going to be there. All the hobbits from Lord of the Rings will be there. And I just found out... Uh, my wife is telling me that uh, another cast of uh, Breaking Bad people are going to be there as well. So, oh no, from uh, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, some of the people from Sons of Anarchy are going to be there. So it's going to be quite the show. Fan Expo, uh, August 25th to 28th. Sounds like the place to be. Thank you for sharing all that information with our audience with me. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you, you taking the time to talk to me about my books. Absolutely. And if you're looking for a fabulous publisher, if you're an author, please reach out to Mickey Mickelson. You can actually find him on Facebook under his own name. I can't think of his website right now. Do you know what it is, Richard? I don't. Uh, Mickey Mickelson is uh, M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-I-K-K-L-E-S-O-N, I believe. I'm not sure how to spell his last name. It's, I know it's got a couple of cases. So. Uh, no, he's yes. been great. And that's how I found out about your show. So uh, he's done wonders for me in the background, too. So he's another part of my crew. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for coming to see us. And please feel free to come back on any of our other shows as well. We'd love to continue supporting your work. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Thank you. Take care. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, whether you're watching us or listening to us on the live or the replay. We're just happy that you're here. Please help spread the word. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, I keep saying this, it just amazes me. We, we stream to 11 TV platforms and YouTube is one. And that's the only one I really can get good metrics from. And 100% of the audience is male men between the ages of 45 and 54. So I don't know where are the rest of you. <laughs> Please subscribe. We'd love to have you counted. We love the men also. I'm not saying that we don't. So uh, our next show is coming up. It's the film and music show followed by the wise ones. And then our last show of the day, we'll be talking heads. So if you'd like to be a guest on any of our shows, please go over to our website, usaglobaltv.com. Book your session. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. And hello to Diane. I hope you're enjoying your day off. She'll be back next week. Thanks again. We'll look forward to seeing you in just a few minutes. Bye.